I hope some of you have a chance to go to a uh, nice di dinner, nice restaurants once in a while where you don't just uh, have your Taco Bell or your McDonald's or your Burger King or your Jack in the Box, but maybe you have your soup, your salad, your appetizer, then your entree, then your dessert. I want to throw some soup and salad and some entrees at you, some uh, appetizers at you. And... Um, in uh, Matthew 4.17, Jesus really begins to talk about the kingdom of God. And John 4.12 says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness, have seen a great light. And upon those that sat at the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I just want to encourage you today in this few minutes before my message that the kingdom of God has come when Jesus established his ministry after he was baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that transcends every kingdom. There are kingdoms being built right now by Putin, by that North Korean leader. Uh, America is trying to build a kingdom, but I tell you, there's a kingdom being built, by, and it was built by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's what we're part of since we've asked Jesus Christ to come into our life. And this world tries to take our eyes off of the kingdom of God and cause us to have the kingdom of this world in our mindset. The values and lifestyles and purposes uh, try to overwhelm our five senses and to distract us from the kingdom of God, of which we are partakers through Jesus Christ. And I want you to be reminded today of the kingdom that you belong to. This last week, if you heard the little the frenzy going on about the Powerball, the Super Lotto, where people were so in a frenzy trying to get a part of that, they said you'd have to be struck by lightning to, to win that lottery. And yet people have put focus on that. People were driving, driving from uh, Orange County up to a place where five times people have won the Powerball lottery. There, that's how trying to link to where it was going. I'm telling you, if you accepted Jesus Christ, you've won the lottery. You have eternal life. You have everything that you need. Even though you're not a millionaire, what does a millionaire have? It means that he has money to control a few things in his life. But will it make his life longer? Will it, will it save him if he has some uh, life-threatening disease? No. It is the kingdom of God in us. It is walking with the Holy Spirit. Walking with the real Jesus is where we begin to prosper, where we begin to see where life is really at. And I want you to be excited about the kingdom of God today. And I want you to be open to receive what God wants to say to you today. In Luke eleven two, 2, Jesus told us in the Our Father prayer, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And it's a prayer we must utter every day because we're so distracted in this world to accomplish things for our boss, for our families, for our own desires, to uh, gain, and, and gain it, um, acceptance sometimes with people or to gain purposes or uh, gain hopes and dreams that we have. But we must pray, God, your kingdom come. We have, we have to align our will every day with God. What is your kingdom? What do you want today? That's the cross of Jesus Christ for each one of us. In Luke 12, 32, Jesus said, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And in the kingdom of God is God's righteousness through the blood of Jesus, God's peace and God's joy through the Holy Spirit living and residing in our spirit. Where is the kingdom of God? In Luke 17, 20 through 21, Jesus, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, they were looking for that natural kingdom. 
He answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come by observation or with observation, nor will it say, See, here is the kingdom, or there is the kingdom. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. It's that treasure we have in earthen vessels. It's that treasure we have deep in our spirit. It is the Spirit of God coming and saving us in our spirit and causing us to begin to grow. Because the first thing that's coming out of this body when we die is our human spirit. And then our soul, our mind, will, and emotion, our personality, and all that we've allowed God to redeem and restore and change the way we think and feel is part of what we're going to take into eternity. It's part of what's going to go into that supernatural body. So the greatest thing you can invest in in your life is your spirit, is your relationship with God and letting God show you who you really are and who God's called you to be. I was thinking about, you know, you think about, you know, our church and, you know, if you have a team, we know we have, we have different people in this church that have, there's rivals in our church about different teams. And it seems like you get on a team, you kind of pull yourself and you kind of like are against everybody. Or if you're in a work and you have a department, you kind of like you're all together and you're tight and yet you're kind of against the other departments. I tell you, Hillside, God wanted Hillside, so we came out of obedience. But it's not about just Hillside in this community. It's about Hillside represents the kingdom of God. Our priorities, when we, we, when we had our presbytery during 1989, when we first had the presbytery and we were just seeking God and wanting to hear more what God wanted for us and see if we were on track, they said, your heart's about the kingdom of God. That our priority is more about seeing people saved and delivered in freedom than building something that has our name on it. In fact, I hope that you forget who I am, but I hope that if you feel called here, that you will so see a vision of who Jesus is and who you are with him, that you'll forget everything about who I am. If, I'm, if you're happy with me, fine, but keep your eyes on Jesus. If you hate me, stay here if God's called me, but keep your eyes on Jesus. That when you fulfill your days, you know more about Jesus than anyone else. Our whole priority as being Christians is to introduce people to Jesus and encouragement that they know Jesus more than anyone else. Because if you know Jesus, you're going to have everything that you need and you're going to be the person God has called you to be, the person you were created to be, the person with a destiny that God has called you to be. Our, my legacy, Dory's legacy, is that the next generations, even after we've passed on and gone, are serving God, are serving God and His purposes and are living a life of the standards of the kingdom of God that is enforced and helped by the Holy Spirit and not by what the world is trying to have and conform people to be. I don't know if I said everything I jotted down, but that's kind of where I'm at. Do you notice a sense, how many sense just a greater element of the Holy Spirit today? Just God speaking everything. We did a church fast. Last Tuesday and Wednesday, we gave up our food. That was hard. It was hard to fast. But look at the results we get. When we as a body do things together in unity, there's, there's a, 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 just an amplification of the presence of God. Why? Because we, we put our food away and we said, God, we want you. We want you. We're going to put some meals aside because we're seeking you. We're praying and seeking you. We want to experience you. We want more of your power. We want you to do in, in this county, in this city, what only you can do. Only you can change people's lives. Only you. And I wanted you to have a revelation, say, when I did that weird thing when I opened up about Capernaum and Jesus being in the temple, I want you to get a, a further understanding that every time we gather together, the Holy Spirit's here. They didn't know what Jesus was going to do. That man who came into the church, he was oppressed by the devil. He didn't know. 
that he was even oppressed by the devil probably. But he knew he needed something. And he knew whatever he lived with under that power of that demonic spirit that he needed deliverance. And where was he? He was in the house of God. And I tell you, every time we come together, because we each bring the presence of God in us by the Holy Spirit, we're bringing God. And as we come together and let God work, there's an application of the Holy Spirit, and God is going to do miracles. God is going to do the, the miraculous. God is going to do what we cannot figure out, what we can't understand, and we can't even see with our eyes. Because God is working on the inside. He's working in our heart. I grew up under Ernest Gentile, and about 45 years ago, I met Dr. Don Phillips, who was the chaplain of juvenile uh, probation in Santa Clara County, and I didn't know in a few years I would be working under him as one of his assistants and just helping out in juvenile hall. But I remember Don Phillips being raised up in Southern Baptist, uh, being at 17, I think he was uh, over a Baptist church in Gilroy, and just his whole life given given by the call of God to serve and and see God. But in the the 70s, during the Jesus movement, his wife, Ruth Ann, was getting blind. And so she was told, she went to a meeting at Shiloh, which is part of our connection with the MFI pastors that have been in Northern California. And so she went to Shiloh, and God began to do a miracle. She was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and she was filled with the Spirit, began to speak in tongues. And, and Don was like, wow, what's going on? Uh, here I'm a Baptist, a Southern Baptist, and we can't, even, we can't even talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We can't even believe that, that you could speak in tongues. And so he was kind of like, God, what's going on? You just healed my wife, and she's speaking in tongues. What is going on? And the, just a couple weeks later, he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit and changes his whole life. And so they tell him, well, where's this church? So they were driving to Oakland. Said, where's this church where you can get involved? And they said, come down. Ernest Gentile is in Gospel Temple in San Jose, and it's a church just like ours, and we're connected with them. So Don and Ruthann got into Christian Community Church, which was Gospel Temple. They changed their name in the 80s and served there under Ernest for forever. And uh, Don Phillips has been fighting cancer for over four years. He had it in one lung and just been feeling like he wasn't supposed to uh, to be in chemo and everything, just really seeking God. That man gets up like 2 to 3 in the morning and spends three or four hours before he began his counseling day where he's encouraging people and counseling through things. So, so here he is. He has this walk with God, but he felt like, I'm not supposed to go through chemo. I'm supposed to just, right now, this first on the get-go, I'm supposed to just trust God. And so he went, and he'd go to healing meetings, having all of us continue to pray, and that cancer went away out of that lung. Well, in this last year, cancer came in the other lung, and cancer came back in the first lung. And so he's doing some procedures just a couple weeks ago, and they collapsed one of his lungs. So he's in the hospital for a couple days, and he is just the most positive person. He is the most positive person. He lost a daughter to a strange form of cancer, you know, about 25 years ago, and had, had a beautiful, you know, family, and it just affected their whole family. And just a man who worships and praises God, always has got his eyes on Jesus, always joyful and happy. And I'm thinking, like, God, Don, you've gone through so much. And I, I, there are so many things I could tell you that Don's gone through, and I've always seen him. Eyes on Jesus, joy of the Lord, positive confession. He sends this the other day on Friday morning, sends this to us. Here we just finish this fast. Second Chronicles 20, starting with verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. There's times when we proclaim a fast, or somehow we sometimes we decide, even on our own, I got to fast. I got to I got to get in touch with you, God. I got to get serious with you right now, and we did that, and we're experiencing the manifestation. Verse seven says, "And Joshua said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God of heaven and the God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you?" Isn't that what Dory was just telling us about? 
God is more powerful. I am powerless. God is full of power. He's all-powerful. Verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against the great multitude that is coming against us. What is your difficulty? What are you facing right now? What is overwhelming to you? Just like they were facing the nations that were coming against them. What is, the Holy Spirit would say, what are you facing? What are you fearing? What are you struggling against? Nor do we know what to do, for our eyes are upon you. Again, Don was sending this message as he faces the greatest battle of his life. Is he going to be taken out? Is this going to be something that God uses to take him home? This cancer in both lungs. The Spirit of the Lord, verse 15, on Jehazel. And he said, listen, all of you Judah and all you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of the great multitude your troubling situation. What are you facing right now? What is trying to trouble you? What is causing you to be dismayed and disillusioned and upset? Do not be afraid because of this great multitude, because of your troubles or your situations, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Andrea told us that just a few minutes ago. The battle is God's. A lot of times, again, in our own human effort and what the world's teaching us, we've got to overcome. We've got to do everything. But as Christians, we've begun to understand that we are powerless. But in that place of linking with our powerlessness, we grab hold and we connect to a God who's all-powerful. We sang that song today. In our weakness, God becomes our strength. When we're weak, God is our strength. Verse 17. You will not need to fight, the Lord said in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see salvation of the Lord who is with you. Or sometimes you're getting so frustrated that you're trying to do something Maybe for me, I start maybe eating candy or throwing a cookie down. Stand still. Stop and begin to thank the Lord. Begin to say, you got this, God. This is so much bigger than me. There's times when we have to say, I am powerless. I don't know what to do. And if I did know what to do, I would do something. But to say, you know what? I'm going to stop right here. And God, I'm going to depend on you. We're in this situation together. What are you going to do? I am waiting on you. I am standing where I'm at. God, do something. The Lord is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out out against them, for the Lord is with you. You know, that calls for us sometimes to get out of bed and instead of uh, calling in sick or avoiding a person or avoiding a problem, go face it. That's what he's telling Jerusalem. That's what he's telling those people. Go out tomorrow and face the opposition. So they arose early in verse 20, early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, your prophetic word waiting on you. Some of you had a prophetic word, and I know people have gone through the worst things since their prophetic word. The word has died. You're thinking like, why did I even go through that prophetic conference? Hang on. Believe his prophets. God gave you a word, but that word is being tested. The word of God is going to test you before it comes to pass. God is testing your character. God is testing your mind, will, and emotions. Are you going to hang on to the word? Are you going to trust the word? Even everything in life is trying to steal it. He don't care about everything going on. He don't care how pressured you are. He's watching. Are you going to hold on to believe him, even though everything is coming against that word? Because God knows that word is powerful. God knows that that word is so strong and powerful, it's got to have strength in your spirit for you to carry that word to fulfillment and completion. Believe as your prophets. 
Believe that word you're waiting on, and you shall prosper. Prosperity is in following God, hearing the word of the Lord, and standing on it, or taking steps of action upon it. Verse 22, And we began to sing. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Maybe when you've done all and you stood and you said, God, this is what you said. This is the situation that I'm facing, that I'm feeling, that I'm looking at. But nevertheless, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you got this. Lord, I'm trying to keep my eyes on you, even though my emotions are trying to be distracted. And I know it's hard to have situations that are real and to keep your eyes on the Lord. Had an interesting situation a couple weeks ago. Some, my relatives came up, my family came up, uh, and they wanted to go over to the coast. And so we went over there. And they, my, my son wanted to see a, uh, look for a, a mechanical pencil, so we stopped at one store, and they didn't have any, so we drove around the block and parked on Forest, and we got, he was just getting out of the car, and boom, car got hit. And the doors got all messed up. But I remember when I walked out of the house that morning, I had put this, uh, a, a, kind of a sweatshirt like this, and in my pocket I reached in, there was two of thick old shoestrings. And I'm the kind of person, if you go in my truck, I have shoestrings. If you look at my suitcase, I have shoestrings. Shoestrings are a great medium for emergencies. And so, and so I looked at these shoestrings before we left that morning. I thought like, I should just go work, put them on these my workbench. I don't need shoestrings today. And then I stopped and I got in the car. And then as soon as I got in the car, it said, came to me, you're going to need these shoestrings. And sure enough, after the wreck and, you know, they're exchanging numbers and everything, here I am pushing the door as close as I could be and putting, putting two shoestrings through the, through the sunroof onto the door and tying it up. And I thought, God, I hate this. I hate that, that now we have, I have a wrecked car. And, uh, but thank you, God, that you knew I was going to have this and I was going to need it, so you told me, hang on to the shoestrings. In this world, we're going to have troubles and trials, but we have an ally. We have an adversary. We're not going to see him at all, but we have to believe. And that's where our faith is. Our faith is in Jesus being with us. Our faith is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are dwelling with us. They're walking with us. And it's not dependent on sometimes if you miss your time with the Lord. doesn't mean I miss my time with the Lord. He's not going to be with me. No. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. But what it does do, it, it engages me to take my time with the Lord, to read my Bible, to be ready. I was open. I heard when I was to hang on to those shoestrings, I thought, oh my, I'm going to need those things. What am I going to use them for? I was hoping I was going to pass them off to somebody else who needed them. So it's, I'm going to get to my message now today. It's week two of It's Got to Be Fresh. You know, I started last week about God wants to do a new thing. God wants to do something fresh. And we started a new year. And I really believe God has initiated this new year like no, never before. I feel so excited about what God's going to do. I'm a little scared. I'm a little nervous. But I think God is going to do some new things for us. I'm going to give you the definition from the Encarta Dictionary again. Fresh is recently harvested or made and showing no sign of staleness or decay, nor having been preserved, aged, or processed by canning or freezing. Now, I grew up with my parents, and they both went through the Depression. And my mom uh, 
my dad was actually fighting in World War II over in the Pacific, but my mom was home, and she went through the rationing of the butter, rationing of sugar, collecting metal, and, you know, all the things that they went through, and I can't even imagine what it was like where a whole country is engaged in war and a production of war materials, and people are having to sacrifice everything because of the war effort. And my mom grew up in San Francisco, and when her shoes wore out, every morning her mom would cut her out a fresh insole to keep her, her bottom of her socks from the hole in her shoe, in her sole. And so they grew up there in de- during Depression, so they, they saved things. Maybe this is where I got saving shoestrings, you know. Uh, it kind of, kind of, you've, you've got to get that back when I was growing up when they had the MacGyver on TV and he would take a bubble gum and a little wire and do all kinds of things. You kind of get this thing like, wow, I could do a lot if I have just a couple of simple things and kind of gets your ingenuity going. So anyway, my mom told me, she said, you know, how many like the fresh bread? You know, you buy the bread at the store, it's in the paper sleeve, and oh man, if you have it the first day, great. The next day, you could use it as a baseball bat, you know? <laughs> and you think like, what happened? What happened? It was fresh yesterday, and it's stale today. So she, one day she told, I remember she showed me something. She said, look, Bruce, this is what we did, and sometimes, you know, we have this bread from yesterday, and it's now stiff today. You cut it open, and you just spray just a light little coat of water on and that, that bread comes back to life. You put a little tiny butter on it, toast in the oven, and that bread is soft like it was yesterday. And that's that whole thing about fresh. God is who makes things fresh and new. God has the power to revive, restore, and refresh what's stale and old and to make new. I ask this question today. How long is something fresh? How long will something remain fresh? How long is new? How long, or if something is new, how long does it stay new? Uh, We understand we can drive a new car off the lot, but as soon as it drives off the lot, it's already depreciated. You know, we try to hold on to what's new and fresh, but it's kind of like one of those things that you can't really grab a hold of. You, You can't really hang on to. Lord, renew me again is our prayer. In Webster's, too, the dictionary says, to make as if new again, to restore to resume or to replenish. In Psalms 51, when David was finally convicted of his sins of murder and adultery, he came to this place of getting on his knees and praying, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. That cry to God, renew those places that I step back into the old. I do something that's not godly. I do something that's wrong. Well, if we stay in condemnation and guilt, we're not moving into the new. We're not moving into what's fresh and the forgiveness and love of God and relationship that is offered to us because Jesus took all of our sins to the cross. But he's changing the way we think. And a lot of times we do uh, works of, of punishment or we do penance of feeling guilty for a while instead of pressing into God and asking God to renew us, asking God to change our heart, to cleanse us from those deep iniquities and sin patterns that are in our lives. Creating me a clean heart, our God, renewing me a right spirit. When our spirit is right, there is ability to draw on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to resist temptation or to go down a new road and to resist an old road. Part of our relationship with God is that confession and, and starting new every day, starting with a fresh, a fresh mind and, and a fresh attitude. You know, sometimes we wake up things we've carried from the day before, and it could really affect our day. It could affect how our, our day is, whether new or it's fresh, or are we reliving a past experience from yesterday? 
are, are we taking the old into the new and spoiling a whole new day that God is giving us? In Colossians 3, 9 and 10, you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image who, of him who created him. Let me give you a definition of renewed from the Encarta Dictionary. Happening or beginning again. To me, it's, a, it's like the daily spiritual bread. That fresh bread that God gives us, the bread of his presence. You know, in the Old Testament, they had the show bread where every day they brought these fresh loaves of bread and they set them before the Holy of Holies. And it was represented the, the presence of God, Jesus, the bread of life. And so to be renewed is bringing that daily bread into our lives, that daily relationship, the daily presence of God for us, and that's going to carry us and to help us be new in each day. Renewed definition from the Strong's, from the... Uh, Greek, to renovate. How many know sometimes we just need to be completely renovated? Oh my, renovate this house. Watch those shows on TV about house hunters and all those places of destroying. Dory likes the fixer-upper and JoJo's always doing stuff, you know. Renovation, you know, sometimes that's part of repentance, that gift of repentance that happens as we're waiting on God. We get to the place where we're so tired of our house. We're so tired of the condition of our house, we say, renovate me. Renovate me. Renew me, O God. Ephesians 4.23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The spirit of that atmosphere. That atmosphere over us. We can be with people. How many have been, been with people and they're negative and then you walk away and you're thinking like, that's still on me. That's the atmosphere. It comes off of people. The spirit of the world is on people and we're interacting with people so we get kind of dirty. Like we have to take a shower. You know, we wash. I mean, we need a spiritual washing. We need a spiritual renewing to renew our mind because the spirit of this world is coming off of people and it's coming onto us. It even comes, it tries to come up off our old nature and rest on us and, and oppress and discourage us. And you know, we can hear a couple of stories on the news and feel like, oh, the world is going to end tomorrow. No. Jesus is going to take us. If we have to be here when Antichrist comes, somehow we're going to see the glory of God. We're going to go through difficulties, but we're going to see Jesus doing things for us. This is uh, Ephesians 4.23 from the New Living. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Attitudes is probably one of the biggest things. It's that subtle thing of what's going on in our thinking. Attitudes. It comes out in our body language. It comes out in our emotions. You know, I'm fine. Hmm. I'm fine. You know, we get that. Don't look, give me that dirty look like that. You know, my mom used to say, don't you look at me like that. Transformation is fresh. Common verse, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. In this verse, new is part of the transformation that's happening because of the Holy Spirit. Transformation means to have the nature or function. Transformation has to do with the nature and function of, of what's going on and who we are. That's, that. that's what we need, a transformation in our nature. We need a new nature. Well, it comes through the Holy Spirit but it comes in our active involvement of seeing how we're acting that's old and asking the Holy Spirit to come in and asking, okay, wh what can I do or how do you want to adjust this? I want to surrender it to you. The biggest thing we have is our will, and when we surrender in prayer those things, we're giving permission for the Holy Spirit to work on it. Our will is ours. God will not override our will. That's why it's so much of this permission thing and our prayers are so important. We see ourselves, we judge ourselves, but then we present. Okay, God, this is what I see about myself. Just like you're working with that contractor. Okay, I want my new kitchen, and this is what I want. Okay, God, 
this is what I want. I see the plans that you've given me. This is what I want, but I give you permission. I'm signing down. Go ahead, do this work in me. I can't do it, but I'm hiring you to do it. Lord, we've, we've hired, hired on with you for you to accomplish this work. Knowledge of God, by the renewing of your mind, that transformation comes by the renewing of your mind. How many of us know when we get knowledge of something, we change the way we do things. We try different things, and we get better at what we, we do. Sometimes someone tells us a better way, and we say, hey, that works. We try it, and it works. The same thing as we read the Word of God, and as the Holy Spirit's interacting in our real life, we're gaining the wisdom and knowledge that comes from the Word so that we can change things in our life because we're starting to practice different things. Colossians 3, 8-10. Out with the old so that we can see the new. Now you yourselves are to put off all these, put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Now that's a big thing right there in being new. You know, sometimes I've heard people say they have weakened swear words. No. Uh, if you're allowing yourself weakened swear words, cut it back to one day and then get rid of it completely. You know? If you have anger, if wrath and rage are coming up, begin to say, God, I realize you don't want me doing this. And I don't need an outlet to be negative. I can really actually have an outlet of praise and worship and say, God, cleanse me of my frustrations. God, cleanse me of whatever the roots of anger and bitterness in my my life. That's part of my old nature. I want to be renewed. I want to walk in my new nature. And obviously, these, these are some fruits that have a root. Will you pull it? so that I can act in the new nature. Do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. When we accept Christ, it allows and makes way for the new and for what's fresh. Verse 10. And you have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. I hope you can catch this next part. It is where the new is. This is where new is. It's Colossians 11, 3.11. The new man is being conformed to the image of Jesus and is where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. He's continually fresh. It's just like, okay, where are my keys? Oh, I left them on the table. Where's my coat? Oh, I left it in the closet. Where is the new? It's where Jesus is. And where Jesus is, there's no barriers. There's no class distinctions. There's no hatred. There's, there, there's an equality we all have. That's where Jesus is. And wherever Jesus is, he's doing something new. Look at how he kept taking the disciples out into the world. And he kept touching people, bringing new life to them. Delivering them from demonic oppression. Delivering them from sickness and disease. Delivering them from hopelessness. Bringing the kingdom of God to them. He brought the poor hope of eternal life. He brought a revelation of here is God in the flesh to those who were weak, to those who were poor, who, those, who, to those who thought they weren't going to get anything. That's where Jesus is. Do you need something new? Go to Jesus. You'll find Jesus and where he is, that's where your new is. Our key verse is Titus 3, 4, and 5. When the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Again, that's that personal valet. He's washing us, cleansing us, taking care of the, the clothing of the new man. He's regenerating it. 
He's restoring us. He's renovating us. He's making us pure and clean. He's renewing our mind. He's giving us new options. He doesn't condemn and beat us down. He invites us in to what's fresh and new. He, he invites us in to be restored. He invites us in and he gives us hope to live a different life. Satan beats us down, especially if you've been a Christian to do something wrong. Satan beats us down. Why? Because he knows if he can keep you from thinking new, if he can keep you from going to Jesus who's new, then you are going to separate from God. You're going to separate from the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to feel defeated because you're not being able to do it on your own. And because of your, he's going to get you wallowing in your own powerlessness and you're going to pull away from the God who specializes in doing the impossible. And that's what's new. When the impossible happens, we're experiencing the new that God has for us. I told you this last week, this is part of you moving ahead in God, and I want you to be so far ahead. I want you to know God more than I ever could know him. I want you to experience the Holy Spirit more than I have ever experienced or will ever experience the Holy Spirit. I want you to be filled with every gift that God has called and has for you more than any gift I have ever discovered. That's my prayer and hope for you, that you will far exceed anything I could ever exceed, but you will find a place in God. You will find such a, a fulfillment in your relationship with God that you have found the billion dollars. Luke eleven thirteen, Keep asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep asking throughout the day, Holy Spirit, fill me. Jesus said we're supposed to ask. Whatever Jesus tells us to do, we need to do it. Jesus said, ask for the Holy Spirit and keep asking. We're weak. We're in a fallen world. There's demonic activity, there's demonic thinking, there's demonic powers and spirits around us, and so they're always draining us through our mind, will, and emotions connected in this world. So he's telling us to keep being refreshed and renewed. Okay, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Man, I was just in that situation. I was just around that person. I feel dirty. I feel overwhelmed. I feel negative. I feel oppressed. I feel fearful. I feel apprehensive about the future. Oh, Holy Spirit, fill and refresh me because you give me hope. You give me an expectation that rises above the darkness of the this world and the oppression of this world. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Not long. It doesn't take very long of asking. You're like, wow, that just got shaken off. That's gone. Thank you, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. That's a verse I'd memorize. Luke eleven thirteen. That regeneration, the definition of regeneration are from Titus, from the, from the Greek. It's rebirth, the state of or act of spiritual regeneration what the Holy Spirit's doing. And you know, there's cause and effect. It says that Paul wrote, he would, and his, his will towards the body of Christ is that our whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. You need a body as a platform of ministry in this time on earth. So you need to contend. God, as you're filling me with the Spirit, as you're causing me to rise in connection and grow stronger in my spirit, and in my relationship with you, then my soul can find this new place of peace and contentment and not be distracted by the world. It's getting fed and nursed because it's in a proper place underneath my spirit connected with God. And then my body begins to experience the, the resurrection life because the Holy Spirit's in my spirit. It's renewing my mind and my thinking, but it's also quickening my mortal body. In, in Romans, it says that the same spirit, if the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then that spirit will give life to your body. What a, what a, talk about a regeneration thing. Talk about what comes around, goes around, filled with the Spirit, in my mind, in my emotions, my body's coming under the alignment. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that's powerful. He's living in you. Pray 
about your physical needs. If you got to go to the doctor, go to the doctor. But believe in Jesus is your healer. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that gives life. Adam was just a lump of clay until the life was breathed into him. As you pray, God, breathe life into to my spirit. As you put your hands on those places in your body that need healing, oh, Holy Spirit, I'm taking the medicine, but, but Lord, fill me. You touch that place where the medicine is doing a little temporary thing, but you give life to that peace. You give life to this part of my body. You cause my body to get strong in you. Uh, regeneration from the Merriam-Webster, an act or process of regenerating, the state of being regenerated. And you know, all of us in Christ, from the moment we ask Christ to come into our life, and the more we get it through our mind and understanding and our, our submission to God and His will and our believing that the Holy Spirit is working in our life, the more we cooperate with that regeneration process, especially having our mind renewed. The state of being regenerated, the renewal and regrowth or restoration of body or a bodily part, tissue or substance. Enoch, you want to come? We have like three minutes. The verse I gave you last week, Isaiah 43, the promise of God to all of us. And it was prophetic to our church when we went to our MFI conference that this is something God wanted to do. And they told us, and we were supposed to bring it back to you guys. Behold, God is saying, I will do a new thing. I will give a new thing in Hillside. He's doing something new in all of us. Don't think, especially when you go back and some of the old things are happening to you again, don't let your mind think, oh, I guess that's not happening. Ah, no. I see stuff happening from that prophetic conference that we had in May. I am beginning to see things starting to happen. I, was, I went over and pulled out my prophecy from 89. It was like, I don't know, 20-something years ago, maybe almost 30 years ago. And I see those things. How many things have happened and how many things are continually happening? God, when he speaks a word to you, he will fulfill it, even though it may take a while. Will you stand? Whatever you want to do, if you need some prayer, just do whatever you want to need to do. And then we'll be gone in a couple minutes. And you'll have a great lunch.